Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. How's everybody feeling today? Hope you said good. I'm feeling good. Hello, Athena. I haven't seen you in a while. Good to see you. I missed you. Hey, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the. I'm going to be your host for the next hour or so, and I've got a great show today. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team, based out of lovely Sacramento, California. We have 48 people up and down the state of California, which means if you have something going on in your house that you think is paranormal. Why is my hat always crooked? Look at that. It's like I have a freaking head. That you think is paranormal. Uh, we can help you with that. Because we have somebody practically in every every uh, area that we can get to you. And if we're not that close, we, we're within three or four counties away that we can get to you. Okay? <laughs> anyway, uh, do me a favor. If you're watching from uh, Facebook, hit that follow button. If you're watching from Twitch, hit that follow button. And if you're watching from TikTok, hit that follow button. And especially if you're watching from YouTube, uh, there's that little ghost in the bottom right-hand corner with the magnifying glass on and the Sherlock Holmes head on. Hit that subscribe button. If you go over our, over to the YouTube site that we have, you will see that we have more than 350 videos over there, interviews of differing topics. Last night was a perfect example, bringing on uh, the hate. They're talking about hate crime and stuff. So, you know, I, I like to change it up a little bit, right? I like to change it up. Anyway, uh, go ahead and do that. And if you and if you find that you like what we're talking about, you like our guest tonight, uh, be sure to let everybody else know about the show as well because we're looking to get as many followers as possible here. And again, I, I want to thank everybody. You guys have done wonderfully this month. We are gaining like crazy. Our downloads for the podcast. Oh, my gosh, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Anyway, my guest tonight has been here before. We love having her on. She's a fan favorite. I have people who request to have her on. They keep bugging about when, when's Anna coming back? When's Anna coming back? I don't know. Why don't you ask Anna? No, I'm kidding. But anyway, um, we get lots of requests and stuff to have her on. And we even uh, read one of her books. You know, I've been reading, doing that book reading thing on Sundays. Right now we're in the middle of uh, Rebecca F. Pittman's uh, uh, thing on Lizzie Borden. And after we get done with this book, guess what? We're back to one of Anna's books. And his first book that we wrote, uh, Way Through the Woods, is an absolutely fantastic book. Great twist. Ghostly. Good stuff. And uh, I can't wait to read the next one. But anyway, um, Anna's got a new book coming out in the fall called Unholy Structure. And we're here to talk about that. Plus, we're gonna, I kind of want to do a lead up a little bit to the other book that we are going to be reading. Okay? Because it's kind of like very interesting to me. Every book Anna writes is interesting to me. It's just how I am, I guess. I'm partial. Santa's fault. But anyway, I'm going to bring Anna on. She can talk to you about herself, for those of you that don't know who she is. And she can talk to you about her books, and, and uh, we'll get into we'll get into Holy Structure. All right, here we go. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Happy to be back. <laughs> here we are again. I know. I think this is, what, the fourth time? 
This is the fourth time, yeah. Yeah, I'm losing track, and it seemed like it was so long ago when I was on. I haven't yeah. talked to you in ages. It's been a while. Yes, it's been a while. definitely. Yeah. I've been burying the Lizzie Borden for what seems like forever, but it's, it's a good book. <laughs> and I'll be there for a while longer before I get into your book, you know. But Lizzie Borden's a good book. It's really detail-oriented. That's the, that's the issue. Mm -hmm. I, love the I think so. It's basically yeah. detail-oriented. And when I'm reading the testimony, I don't know if you've heard me read it, but when I'm reading the testimony, my, my eyes start to go, you know. Uh-oh. Because it's testimony by, by witness by witness by witness, and it goes back and forth between. But she's really detail-oriented, so i got to give her credit on that. Anyway, I'm looking forward to reading the other one of yours, too. Um, something happened last week in connection with the other, you know, the, the, the book that we did read online. And it's sad, but at the same time, it's okay. You know, we, we, we lost the heroine. I can't say heroine. That sounds terrible. No, it's not that kind of heroine. We lost the heroine from our other story. <laughs> Of the way through the woods uh, that we read here online on Sundays, and uh, at least she got to live a good life, a good long life. Yeah, you know, uh, I have to tell you, Charlotte, I was completely surprised because the last time I talked to her, and I keep in touch with her, uh, she was relatively healthy, mm -hmm. and you know, she was doing a lot of things. She was still driving, uh, you know, for someone who's like ninety-two years old, that's quite a bit to do. She lives alone. Uh, and I think, you know, things kind of like went downhill very quickly for her. But I can't wrap my head around the fact that I spent about four months uh, researching the area she was born in, raised in. And, well, you know, the whole story, you know, when her parents were abducted and the whole thing just went crazy. And she ended up defecting as a Nazi youth leader. She was only 12 years old. Uh, and through the summer of her 13th and 14th year, she spent looking for her parents. Mm -hmm. And now we come to 2022. And, you know, she's completed a very long life. Yes. So, you know, so, yeah. So that was um, surprising last week when it happened. She's so sharp. She's reminded me my, my grandfather died at 98. And he was um, Hungarian, World War One. He had fought World, you know, World War One and all that. And his mind was really sharp to the end, like that too. Really, really sharp. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a surprise when he finally, when he finally got sick, and you know, all that went downhill. But the story that that book is 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 wonderful. It's incredible. There's some twists in there I didn't see coming, which is which is what books should be, you know. But it's Thank you know, you. What, what gives me good thought with her now is that she can finally be with her parents. She can finally be with with the other little girl, you know, and so they're, they're all back together. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like one of those things where you realized, okay, she had a full life, mm -hmm. and now it's time for her to be reunited with the people mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, without putting a spoiler out there, mm -hmm. being reunited with people that she wanted to be with in the first yes. place. Yes. Yeah, yeah. This time the bread won't go bad. Yes. <laughs> you saw that, huh? All these details. I'm like a sponge. I'm like a sponge. A wonderful sponge. So, how do you? I mean, obviously, you 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 interview here. How do you come up with ideas to to write your books and stuff? 
Well, that, that's a complicated question. Um, I, I could probably spend a few hours explaining that, but to try and capitalize it, I, um, I traveled a lot. <clears throat> I think I mentioned that in the last show that I ended up doing travel photography. Uh, my husband and I also like to travel just to travel for the pleasure of it. Um, but also locally where I grew up, I grew up in Connecticut. And even when I was still in college, and, and this is segueing into the next book coming up, I really liked antiques. I don't know if we talked about that at some point. Um, so, sort of vaguely, yeah. yeah. So I started writing this next book uh, with all the experiences in mind and all the people that I have met through the years by going through antique shops. Uh, I didn't always start looking at antique shops. I mean, obviously, they're pretty expensive since, you know, they're rare. And that's the kind of stuff that you just don't simply lose or break, so to speak. But I started by going through flea markets since I was just a college student. You know, I was pretty much on a very limited budget. Uh, went with a couple of friends and one one friend in particular was interested in antiques as well as I was. And back in the day, Char, when I was in my salad day, so to speak, um, <laughs> I, I kind of like wanted to look for bargains. You know, I, I would call them antique. Some of them are not necessarily antique. They're just simply old and they're not necessarily valuable. But within those trips that I took on weekends and I was in a college, it was only half an hour away from New York City. Uh, and in that corridor, there's tons of places to go to just kind of like bargain and look at different odd things and you know, things that people probably would consider junk uh, were, for the most part, just curiosities for me and not junk for me. Mm -hmm. So in one of them, I stumbled upon a chair. It was an antique wing chair, and it was in perfect condition. And I, I was only in my teens at the time, my late teens, because I, um, I was a sophomore when this all started. And I ventured to ask the gentleman who was selling it, and he told me it was only $36. So to answer your question as quickly as I can, um, it, it started with basically a piece of furniture that I really loved. Uh, we threw it in the back of a beetle. You know, they don't make them anymore these days. It gives you an idea how old I am. Uh, and we brought it back to my dorm room. And that's where all the uh, quote-unquote fun started because the chair was inhabited. Something oh. was attached to it. It didn't discourage me because years went by and all the way into as, early, as late as five years ago, and even now, I still go into antique shops. And I ended up being a repeat customer for some people in New England. And it was from them that I got some of the strangest, most terrifying stories. So what I did in this third book, which came out late May, mm -hmm. um, is compile the stories that they gave me with their permission. Um, and it, it's, uh, 
I would have to say most of the work with this book entailed getting all the stories from all the different people, the dealers, members of their family. Um, you know, one was a very good friend from college that still keeps in touch and has provided me a lot of information about hauntings and things. And he himself lived in a Victorian house that was infested. Um, but anyway, to make a long story short, that's how it started with these books. I just compiled a lot of information from interviews. Uh, the Way to the Woods, which is the one you read, um, was basically something I stumbled upon. I was just attending a party and I met the uh, lady uh, who provided me with the story. Nice. Yeah. Wow. wow. I was just thinking when you were talking about your antiques, I collect the antiquities. Okay. I get mine from eBay. And usually the one, well, not anymore so much because prices went way up. But I used to get the ones that the that weren't museum quality that they had that they had patched, like there were little holes or something on them. Mm -hmm. And so I started to collect Greek and Roman antiquities lots of years ago. Had them in my dining room. <laughs> so I came over one day and she says, um, I got something to tell you. And I said, Why? She says, Did you know that there's somebody in armor with a red plume on his head sitting in your dining room? Uh oh. So I said, apparently I had a Roman centurion in my dining room. Oh, you did tell me this. I remember. And then, yeah, <laughs> it went on from there. And then the other antique, I don't see, I had the invest. I don't know if I told you about the investigation that time out in Vacaville out here, where this woman was having all kinds of problems in her house. And she couldn't figure out why. Psychic walks in and goes, where did you get that dresser? You know, the closet dresser thing, you know, with all the mirrors on it and all that. Mm -hmm. And she says, well, I got it at an antique shop out in the country. Psychic looks at me and says, I see blood on there. And I said, what, what do you mean you see blood on there? She said, he chopped them up and he put their body parts in the bottom drawers. Oh, my gosh. I said, whoa, whoa, you know. And she says, the children, the children, he chopped the children up and he put their body parts in the drawers. So she is, um, what do you call it? Not precognitive, but she has some kind of like a sixth sense yeah 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 wow so we were able to trace it trace it back and sure enough it was related to a murder back in the 1800s that had occurred with two children wow and this woman was having all this trouble in her house and stuff so it's craziness you know and uh, that's what happens with antiques i don't i don't say don't buy antiques antiques are cool <laughs> there's nothing wrong with antiques so did she get rid of it yeah she Is got rid of it she got rid of yeah. it because yeah like like well like the psychic had said the blood had soaked into the point where it had put the imprint was there forever. Oh, and this thing, you know, where, where and he did, he had ar their arms and stuff stuffed in his drawers, I guess, you know, this of this big chest thing. Well, of the five stories, I have to tell you that there was one in particular that really do scare me. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I interviewed the gentleman, I remember he was telling me that it really left him unhinged mm -hmm. for several weeks. Even after he got rid of the object, he couldn't sleep. He couldn't believe how much it had disrupted his life, how much it revealed, you know, about him, right. how easily he could have gone crazy. I mean, he okay. literally was going crazy. Uh, he started doubting what he was seeing. He started 
losing track of time. Uh, he was just really, I guess, almost like having a nervous breakdown. Wow. So some of these things have quite an effect. But I have to tell you something that I, I recently heard about um, from a gentleman friend of mine who lives out in Chicago. And if he's listening, he'll recognize the story. Uh, this was something that just came across um, my way during the time, you know, that we were, I don't know, you were busy, I was busy, we kind of lost touch. He called me one morning and he said, you know, I just finished your book. And I have to tell you this story that just happened to a friend of mine. Apparently, the friend who collects antique furniture recently acquired a four-poster bed. And the bed was made out of this very heavy, dark wood. It was very elegant, according to him, very beautiful. The gentleman was very proud to be able to get it. He had to get it shipped to his house. Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, he was so enamored with it that he didn't realize, even think about any kind of history about this bed. All he knew was it was about 200 years old. It was in mint condition. And he was having it delivered. So in comes the bed through the front door, and it ends up in his master bedroom. And he decides he's going to go ahead and have, he had servants. He was going to get the housekeeper or whoever it was to go ahead and clean it, make the bed, and shortly he was going to use it. So he got in the bed that night. He was very restless, which is very much unlike him. And he told my friend that the first thing he thought of was that there was an odd scent that came with the bed. And it kind of left him uncomfortable because it wasn't a nice scent. It was something that reminded him of something very sad. I don't know if a scent can make you feel sad, but this scent made him feel very sad. And he lay there and eventually he fell asleep, only to wake up in the middle of the night with a feeling that something was looking down at him. So eventually, what happened was he was very uncomfortable with the bed. First, it was just him that was bothered by it. Then his wife started waking up and saying that she felt like someone was watching her as she slept. So eventually, they moved the bed to the guest house. They lived in this compound of sorts had a guest house in the back. And this is when things get interesting. He decides to have a party. Some of his friends he invites from out of state. Some of them are flying all the way across. I think the guy lives in California, to tell you the truth. Not anywhere near you. <laughs> but anyway, he invites a bunch of people. Dang it. Uh, yeah. 
and his friend the the guy that told me the story got invited so in the process of having the phone conversation he said uh you like antiques don't you and my friend says yes i do he said well i'm gonna have you sleep in an antique bed and he said oh that's great he said i love it he said where did you get the bed he says i don't know but it, it's at least 200 years old and it's a four poster bed and he said just be aware that there's some funny things that go on with the bed and maybe you could figure it out for me well he starts questioning him and and the story finally came out so to make a long story short or a, a, a short story long he did come over and they had the party over the weekend, but he did not stay. <laughs> he couldn't get anybody to stay in that particular room in the guest house. Wow. So it just kind of sits there now and it's kind of like a, a spare bedroom that someone is waiting to stumble upon, I guess, but he hasn't been able to get anybody to sleep on it. He hasn't thought of having anybody come out to take a look at it or anything? You mean as an investigator? Yeah, now you've got my attention. Yeah, I, you know, I should ask him where it is in California if the person would allow it to happen because, um, you know, it's interesting because people, I think, are of two minds. They're either very willing to accept that these things can happen or they just simply, like, laugh it off and say, oh, no, you know, you're just imagining things or whatever. But my friend believes it. He believes it is, which is why he took it very seriously. Right. I mean, he's had experiences himself. Right, right, right. That'd be interesting to look into. Now, I can tell you, you know, I, I, I work in areas where there's a lot of antique shops. And, you know, you could talk to, I would say, you know, some are willing to talk to you about it. Some of them aren't. But I know up in Placerville, where I used to work, there's at least one or two hundred antique shops on Main Street. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, one of them was called the Black Rose of all things. And, you know, it's like, it's interesting to talk to them because it may, it makes you wonder about antiques. Do you, do you want to take them or not? You know, and, and is, is, is it worth taking them? And I don't know. You know, it's like, it's like for me, it's a two-edged sword. Because like I said, I've got a dining room set in my dining room that my parents got from somebody. And that's got something attached to it. You know, and then I've got the Greek stuff going on, and then, you know, whatever else is there that's old. But, I mean, not everything is going to be haunted, of course. But yeah, it's interesting when you, like you say, when you start talking to these antique shop owners, because they all, I don't care who they are, they, they can say they don't, but they all have a story to tell because there's always one or two objects in their shops that, that something is attached to and, and funny thing goes on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I shared you the mirror, the armoire mirror that was in um, the first book. Yeah. Uh, you have to tell me, did you see anything in that mirror? I mean, I, just for the benefit of the audience, I'll, I'll tell the story first. Okay, um, right. My first book, if you look at the spine, there's a series of pictures and they're all uh, very uncanny pictures. Some people have seen um, things in there that I myself have not seen. There's one that's a reflection that is right beneath the surface of a lake. There is a one that is a shadow that is at the 9-11 memorial here in Pennsylvania. Uh, two of my close friends went there and started taking pictures and unwittingly took pictures of the ground with a shadow 
right next to the steel beam that they actually took from the wreckage of one of the towers. They erected it right there at the memorial, you know, complete with the, the burnt areas and things of that nature. So it was like a testament as to what happened. But it's uncanny, Charlotte, what happened at the base of that steel beam. And when she photographed it, she never expected anything to come out. So next to that is a photograph that a cousin of mine had taken of an antique home that was built in 1756. The home had about five bedrooms, and in one of the spare bedrooms sits this armoire that's very, very old, that's made of some kind of mahogany wood, I believe. Mm -hmm. And there's a window right next to it. I didn't think much of it. I wasn't going to include it in the book. Mm -hmm. I included the story merely because someone told me they had seen something in it. So when I asked my cousin, do you see anything in the mirror? And he said, don't you? And I had to look at it. At the time, he had scanned it and sent it to me as an email. So I kind of like expand it with my fingers. I still, to this day, don't see anything. But a lot of people who have bought the book, you know, in print, they can actually see something in the mirror in the armoire. See, I don't think I saw anything in it either. I don't remember if I did or not. Yeah, see, I... It's funny because um, some people see it immediately mm -hmm. and some people like you and I don't see anything. Yeah. So it, it could be just a phenomena of suggestion that you're supposed to see something. But there's another part to that particular photograph. <laughs> and I don't know if you saw that part of the photograph. But the clue that I will give is that if you look at the window, you're going to see something that shouldn't be there, mm -hmm. that does not belong there, and is physically impossible. Um, and, and I'll tell you why. If you, if you go into that house or any home that was built in around the 1750s in the Philippines, mm -hmm. There is no windowsill outside the window. You know how people put pots, potted plants mm -hmm. on the windowsill. These are not the kinds of windows where you could put potted plants outside. There just is no ledge. Mm -hmm. And yet, in this particular window, you will see a hat sitting right on the ledge. And it's not inside. It's outside. Mm -hmm. Creepy. Absolutely creepy. Yeah. yeah. And I was so intrigued, okay, that I actually visited. I flew 22 hours. Okay. I wasn't just there for, for that, but I flew 22 hours to visit for about a month. Ended up going to that house. And I physically went into that room. And I'm going to tell you, there is something in the room. Because the rest of the house felt just like a house. This right. room felt like something. I, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. No, I know. I, I, know, I know that feeling completely. It's, it's a feeling that's um, it, it's heavy. 
It's a heavy, yeah, it's a heavy beer. It's a very heavy feeling. Yes. So I walked up to the window and I wouldn't dare go there at night. <laughs> I walked. Which brings me to the next book, because you'll never find me in that house at night. Not not even in twilight. No, no way. So I walked up to the window, and this is a broad daylight. must have been around noon. Mm -hmm. And this is tropical weather, so it was very hot. There was like a little fan in the corner. And I opened the window. I, I just had to. I opened the window, and of course, there's no ledge. It's a physical impossibility. That's crazy. And for people that have never felt a heavy room, imagine somebody in your family that has a huge presence, like your dad. Maybe he was a big guy, you know, a real big guy. And when he's in the room, you can always tell you can feel the heat coming off him or whatever, his energy. Well, when you go into an empty room and you feel that same kind of presence, but then there's no one there, that's when life gets interesting. Yeah. It's, it's hard to describe. Yeah. For me, yeah, but it, it's almost like, um, you know, you, you know, when you're alone in the house mm -hmm. versus when you're not alone in the house, mm -hmm. and it's it's when it's someone, I guess, when it's someone you don't expect, yeah. and there's an element of anxiety attached to it, that's, I guess, the feeling that you get with this particular room. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So there's no ledge outside that window for a hat to be resting on or anything like that. There's no ledge for anything at all, let alone to put a, uh, it, and, and the hat was a Japanese hat. Okay. Someone uh, blew it up, not, not explode, but blew it up to have a closer shot. Right. And it was exactly the helmet of a World War II Japanese soldier. Wow. That's crazy. And it was on the second floor bedroom. So it was physically impossible for anybody to climb up right. the wall outside. Right. You think it has something to do with the mirror? You know, it's weird that you ask that because a lot of people have had a conversation um, who, I mean, the house is occupied. There's right. three people that live in it right now. Um, they never really go to the room alone. They don't really use it. It's now being used kind of like as a storage place, just like the bedroom with the four-poster bed. You know, they've left it empty for, for good reason. And um, this one, they, they kind of are sheepish about using it. So they just use it for storage, but when they need to get something from it, <laughs> they go in in twos and threes. They, they don't go in alone. Um I think I was probably one of the few people who actually went in there alone. And, and it was only because it was daylight. The door was open. You know, I, I was confident there were people right outside the door that I could rely on. <laughs> You'll never take me to an investigation. You already know that, right? <laughs> I'll take you. I'll take you. We'll have a good time, too. Yeah. You. <laughs> Get her, ghosties. But yeah. <laughs> Hey, Shelly, I see what you wrote down at the bottom. I agree. She told me the story of something she had up here, and then now here she says, I have become weary of... Let's see. Ah, I become weary of... I have become weary of first-store finds, though. 
I don't buy things at thrift stores. I don't buy antiques anymore. That was enough for me. Having that stuff in my house, I'm good. It's all got to be new. <laughs> nope. Never again. Bad enough I live in an old rickety house. But man, it's like, you never know what you're going to get. You never know what's attached to it. You know? You know, what flabbergasts me is that there is a seem to be like a i don't know if it's just a fad but people are buying antique dolls yes oh my god yes the creepiest things that are on ebay uh etsy you, you know th those kinds of and they don't look cute no they don't they look actually scary yeah i don't understand it i just don't get it and i know people that have had paranormal stuff going on in their houses and they buy them because they're haunted dolls. And I thought, weren't we over there trying to get the bad stuff out that you didn't like and now you're bringing something in? Yeah. Don't and they're me. bringing it in. Yeah. They're bringing it back in. Yeah. I was one of those kids, one of these kids, I had like clown dolls, you know, like that. You know, like that movie Poltergeist where, the, where they set the clown up on, on the chair. Uh -huh. I couldn't stand that stuff when I was a kid. If somebody put something up on a chair, I would shove it in the closet. I didn't like stuff staring at me at night, you know? And, like, that's the, like, the creepiest thing, like, like a poltergeist when the clown kept moving around the floor. Mm. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. That's I don't really... like that. I like to create creepy things at Halloween. I'm good for it. But I don't want to see them sitting like like, like, like I'll create my, my, my creatures and stuff, but they have to be in the other room. <laughs> you know? It's like I'm one of these people. I'll create this big haunted thing out in my front yard. And then everybody goes, well, why don't you go to Universal Studios with me and we can go through the haunted house? Nope. Won't do it. My I'll idea of Halloween is just eating candy and watching a movie. That's about the extent of it. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't mind doing my own, handling my own decorations, but if I have to go to somebody else's thing where I don't know what's going to happen, <laughs> people jumping out at me, oh, no, 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 no. That's awful. It's it's creepy. I'm a wimp. It's creepy. Yeah, I don't like it. As much of that stuff that I do, you know, I'm in cemeteries at night. I'm doing all this stuff. Maybe because I'm not controlling it or something. I don't know. Because maybe maybe I'm a control freak. I don't know. Are you? Yeah. See, I, I don't see you being that way. I see you as a go with the flow kind of person. I do, but I also like to have the. I also like to be in, in command of the situation. Even though I'm going with the flow, I mean, stuff oh. could change. You know, like to be in charge of something, and then stuff could change. I'll shift really easy, mm -hmm. you know, for it. But I still like, you know, going in a certain direction with stuff. I don't blame you. <laughs> you have to color within the lines. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the but, same way. Yeah. Otherwise, I'll go with any flow. With I'm, I'm cool with it, but. I don't like to veer too much, you know, from the plan. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. So you've written a new book. Another one I... of your ideas. <laughs> You're such a, this is what gets me with you. You're such a sweet lady. Thank you. But you come up with this creepy stuff. Well, <laughs> this one here I think you'll really like. This is actually based on a real case that just happened that just concluded and is, I, I can't, uh, here's the frustration that I have with this book. The gentleman who's the investigator, the lead investigator, 
lives around Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which is only about an hour and a half from me. So in the process of telling me about this case, apparently the house in question, if you want to call it a house, it's really a mansion. It's got 20 bedrooms in it. Um, they were converting it again into an inn. It started as a mansion, and then at some point in its lifetime, and this was in the 1750s, it turned into an inn. And you had stage coaches coming through there, people staying overnight or staying for a week or whatever it was. It was like a party place. And then people would sleep, you know, at the inn part. But it had two ballrooms. It was very grand, very opulent, just really simply beautiful. Um, it was a case that was handed to them. Because what was happening was it somehow the owners were frustrated with the construction crews. They kept stopping, you know, the renovation and people kept quitting. So it stayed that way for about five years until finally when the case came to my attention and to John's attention, who took the case on, it changed hands. So we weren't able to get permission from the current owner mm -hmm. because by the time I was halfway through the book, the ownership had changed. Right. But this house, and I, obviously I can't mention where it is, so I changed right. states in order to make it happen, um, involved so many changes of hands because of all the frustration the, the whatever was living in there or remained in there, Charlotte, did not want anything disturbed or touched. Mm -hmm. And I guess in the realm of, I mean, I'm not an investigator. I'm basically just a storyteller of scary stories. Um, whatever was in there that died of a tragedy wanted people to know what happened to them. But there was something very evil that was also in the house that was preventing this crew from taping all these occurrences. They witnessed it. They heard it. But somehow it was not recording. Some of the stuff was coming through on the EVP, but in comparison to what they were actually witnessing, it was not taking on tape. And I don't know what you call that, whether that's something you've encountered. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You I have? Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots, lots of times. Lots of times. Lots of times. Um, it's been frustrating where you'll, have foot, you'll hear footsteps, door slam, nothing gets picked up on tape. Nothing. For some reason... It's you know it's like it's like you talk about dimensions. I mean, you know, maybe it's another dimension that we're actually hearing, but but the, the, but our dimension on the tape the tape recorder doesn't pick it up. But I've had it happen. And and I think that a lot of times these things would talk to them. And you know, you picture yourself going in. You're trying to take the wallpaper down. You're trying to upgrade the plumbing. You're going on about your business. And these people are working long hours. And for some reason, as soon as the sun starts to set, strange things start happening and they hear people talking to them. 
the lead investigator had voices interacting with him, responding to questions that he was asking at the top of his head. And the uncanny part about the house is that apparently a lot of tragedies have happened. People didn't even know what was around the house. And to add insult to injury, there's a cemetery right next door, literally. And that in itself had a history. Right. Wow, it's like a mecca for productivity. Yeah. Right in the middle of everything there. Well, I know there's one old hotel up in the gold country up here that when they tried to put the wallpaper in, like you say, during the day they get the wallpaper and they come in the next day, it was all peeled off. I, I you know, hear that. Whatever, whatever was in there didn't, didn't want them to put new wallpaper up. Yeah. Wow. And they didn't know. I, you know, it's it's one of those places where I guess people got to the point where they didn't want to have anything more to do with it. They left their construction materials still wrapped, still secured in pallets, and just walked off the job. That's how badly infested the building was. Wow. I mean, what was and Charlotte? I know you don't want to give away a lot on it because it's, it's a new book. Mm -hmm. But I mean, mm -hmm. the case where like, the wallpaper wasn't staying, were, were they moving the tools around or what was going on? Just basic stuff. There was a lot of, um, what can I say? There were certain parts of the house that were more infested than another. Mm -hmm. There was an incident where the gentleman who had been hired was allowed to go in on a weekend to get time and a half to go ahead and take the wallpaper down. Speaking of wallpaper being taken down. Mm -hmm. His job, actually, he was a plasterer and painter was to take down the wallpaper and then paint it because they were trying to modernize one part of the house. They were trying to upgrade the plumbing. They were doing all kinds of different things. He was marking his time. He was trying to get a lot of overtime. So he stayed until later on, much later than most people would have dared because he didn't know the history. No one would share any history with him because otherwise, if everybody knew, no one would go in. Um, and in this case, there was a lot of scratching. Like there was a dog that was scratching away at the wall. And he would turn around and the lights would start blinking. And then as it started to rain, it got darker and darker. And then he heard this howling so he then proceeded to check into the scratching, wondering if there was mice or some kind of vermin in the next room. He goes into the next room, and he discovers there's still the old furniture, the original furniture in the room. And he's looking and looking at the wallpaper, and then he hears the scratching, but this time it's in the other room where he came from before. So it was like toying with him. He was going from one room to the next until eventually he went back to the room he had been sitting in to take a break. 
only to see something through the window. And it was the face of something that looked like a dog. And that's when he just bolted out of the place, ran down to his truck, and just drove away. So when you say somebody else bought the house, what, what, did you know what they're doing with it now? I think at this point, it's still sitting empty. Because what's happened was there, there were four crews that were on site. They lost three crews in the space of a year. They had a separate crew in the attic trying to remove all the antiques that were stored in the attic. Mm -hmm. And they found this tub. And this guy walks over and sees that it's filled with blood. And in fact, there was no blood in there. So when the investigator comes in, he puts a camera up there, he puts a recorder, he goes up there and looks around and finds this tub. This, the tub is clean except for dust. There was maybe some mold around the rim, you know, from age, mm -hmm. but none of the stuff that that person saw. So it shows in different manifestations depending on who it is. Mm -hmm. And one person, not to give away too much, he was the electrician. He was laying down cable. And he was out in the street. And this is a very lonely road where this house is located. And he was walking down the street towards the cemetery. And he starts digging a trench to lay down electrical cable. Mm -hmm. And he comes upon something. He thought at first it was a gas line. So, of course, he leaps away thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, there I am. I'm a goner. And it's not but it looked like the color of a gas line. He starts digging at it and finds it's this huge bone, part of a dog. Well, the guy trains dogs. He trains hunting dogs. He takes the thing home. And within a week, one of the puppies that he's training gets killed by one of his adult dogs. The things start happening with what people do when they take something out of the place. Another guy decides he's going to take a statue with him. Then he decides he's going to take a chair. I mean, these are people that were supposed to be his salvaging crew. But, you know, when you're working weekends and there's no manager, no one's really taking inventory. They just want everything out to be able to fix everything. Instead of throwing it into the container, he puts it in his truck. And the next thing you know, his trailer home burns down when he gets the furniture in there. Yeah. So it's weird stuff, really weird stuff. Was the uh, paranormal people, uh, paranormal group, able to do any history, you know, write a history back on the house or anything? They did a little bit of history on the cemetery. Uh -huh. They found out that 
after the house was built, the cemetery was basically being utilized for elderly clergy to be buried in because it was near a church. Uh, they also buried vagrants there, people who um, were homeless. And then they buried local people. But they said that there was a rumor that there was a werewolf that was appearing at the cemetery. That whatever it was, was desecrating graves. It was digging up the graves and eating some of the bodies in the graves. I don't know how true it was. They don't know how true it was, but it coincided with a fire at that particular house. And it was right after the fire when the werewolf started showing up. So <laughs> you kind of want to put two and two together. If there's something evil going on, I don't know. But it seemed like there was kind of like a correlation. There is, yeah, I mean, I mean, the through the window thing with the dog face or, you know, whatever that is, the scratching. Mm -hmm. That's just, yeah, it's very interesting. It well, and then there's wonder. this. Yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. You were saying it, it makes you wonder. wonder. It makes you wonder about there actually have been a dog in the house when it burnt down. Yes, there was. Okay. There was also a missing child, supposedly about 11 years old. I won't give it away, but there was also a woman who passed in a stagecoach, and she was in her teens at the time. And the most overriding thing that they got from it was that there was a man involved in the rape and murder of this girl who was just passing through on her way somewhere else. She ended up staying at the inn, and unfortunately, he happened to be there at the same time. Uh, There's also an elderly woman involved, and during that space of time when this guy was there is when the fire happened and the little boy disappeared. A lot of history. A lot of stuff to yes. deal with, with the house itself and then like with the cemetery next door. Oh my. That's a lot yeah. of stuff. A lot of overlapping stuff. Especially if you're a paranormal group. You know, you'd have to go in and and, 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 and take it on layer by layer. Yeah. To figure it out. And this is what happened. I mean, they were there for about five months. Mm -hmm. They were given a list of people. I mean, this whatever this property owner was, they, they wanted it solved because they were losing money for every week that the place stood empty. So as a last resort, they hired them to investigate what was happening. And you know, they thought maybe it was just a bunch of union workers that were unhappy about the kind of money they were being paid. Mm -hmm. And this guy walks in and he's like, this is not McDonald's. It, this is gonna take time. And then they gave him a list of all these people that have witnessed all these kinds of events. And it was a lot of rooms in the house where there was a lot of activity. So they went in at least four times. And then the fifth time, I mean, people were exhausted at that point. Their lives had been interrupted. There were so many things going on. The guy said, look, you know, we're just going to stake out the cemetery and find out what the story is with whatever this guy saw, this electrician saw. And uh, nobody touched anything. Thing. nobody bring home anything 
not even garbage from this mansion because bad things are happening to anybody who takes anything home from it. He even had the keys to the mansion for a while and he left it in the investigator's van. He wouldn't even bring it into the house. I don't blame him. Yeah. So yeah, it was like peeling an onion. It was like layer by layer. Every weekend they would be there. They would stay overnight. But the, the most tough part about the whole thing is that not everything was getting recorded. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. And how, how far, I mean, as far as coming to a conclusion, how far did they get before they couldn't go in there anymore? I think it got to the point where the lead investigator felt something was attaching itself to him. Mm -hmm. um, he had two people quit before the investigation began. And then he had to, he had to train two new people. The one person encountered something going through the door and he just was so terrified that he did not want to come back. So in the process, he had his wife involved in the investigation. He had to train her. He had to train her how to use the equipment. He did not want her that closely involved. And they had this van and she stayed outside in the van to just make sure that everything was under control. Mm -hmm. But the worst part is when it started to follow him. And then he started seeing what happened to people who had unwittingly bought home some things they shouldn't have. And that's when he called it the day. He said, we're, we're done with this. We, we can't collect any more. We're not going to spend any more time. Mm -hmm. It started to get really terrifying. Mm -hmm. I could just hear him going, looking at his wife going, you know what, we're in over our heads. We're going to have to back off just to get away from this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it was draining him. People were getting or feeling sick. People were starting to get nauseous. I didn't even know that was possible. They were starting oh, yeah. to feel weak. <laughs> Drained. Oh, yeah. Yep. Like a battery. Yep. Yep. Everybody and you know, Charlotte. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Um, that's what I call psychic hits. Mm -hmm. You get hit by something, a ghost that goes through your body or, or tries to grab you or whatever. You will feel nauseous at times. You will feel exhausted for two, three days afterwards. Whatever it was, was lashing out, hitting all of them. And you know, the interesting part about this is that as he's telling me all these things and I'm writing them all down, I was kind of like trying to chronicle them in order mm -hmm. to give some structure to how I was going to tell the story. And I found myself having to turn the lights on in the entire house when I was writing this. Because to me, it was just unbelievable how much was happening in this house. Now, you know, I was born in a haunted house. Right. 
and subsequently moved into my grandmother's house, which was also haunted by several spirits. This is one of those homes where I think almost every room had some kind of a negative story. Mm-hmm. And the thickness of the feel of it was such that one time he brought in a Bible into the house, was reading it. He was smelling feces, shit, let me just say it, um, intensified as he was reading the Bible. It was that bad. Yikes. Yeah. So I I don't know what you do with that. I mean, they walked away. Mm -hmm. They did a report. They made recommendations. They they made in light of the stuff that they saw um, later on. um, They wanted people to come in, not just to bless it, but also for the historical society. Mm-hmm. to catalog what else they found, if you know what I mean. Because mm-hmm. there were bodies of Civil War soldiers on the grounds of the mansion. Mm-hmm. Question in the chat room. I'm blind. What happens when you're old and blind? Did she actually go out to view the outside of the house or see a picture of it? He... He actually sent me a picture of the house, which I'm not allowed to publish in the book. Sadly, because the owners have changed, he has no permission from the current owner. But if you saw this house, you would never think that it was haunted. And I'll tell you why. I mean, we have in our heads kind of like a template of what a haunted house looks like. Mm-hmm. It's usually, at least to me, something that looks dark, looks mm-hmm. foreboding, paints peeling off the walls, you know, it's got kind of like a gothic feel to the whole thing. This house sits in the sunshine. There's hardly any trees around it. It looks very neat on the outside. It doesn't look, you know, sometimes you'll have a house that looks dilapidated or abandoned. It doesn't look abandoned. It doesn't look dilapidated. Something is maintaining this house. Right. And I said to him, is this like what the house looks like? Is it similar? He said, no, this is the house. (laughs) This is the actual house. I mean, obviously, I can't release it to you, but I just wanted to show you what what it is, what it looks like. And, and to me, after all that, I think it's probably meant more to be a museum. Probably, probably. Here's another question yeah. I have for you. Um, let me do this here. I know when I, the London Opera House is where the one that gave me a lot of trouble when we were filming mm-hmm. for our TV show that you know that we had at one time. And I remember coming home and working on the video portions of it. Stuff would disappear. Stuff would get erased. Audio wouldn't work right. 
And I know dang well it was something from over there that didn't want us to put the video out. Did you have any trouble as you were writing this book? Because I know you mentioned about leaving the lights on in your, in your house when you wrote this thing. Did you have any other problems writing your book? No, I didn't. But I had some very strange feelings. I knew I couldn't write at night. This is probably the first attempt right now of me talking about this this house while I'm sitting here in the dark, um, you know, because I'm on the East Coast. So we're talking at upwards of 1030 at night. Right. But I, I wanted to put the laptop to rest as soon as the sun set. It was not something that was easy to write because when you... You're writing something of this nature, you get very immersed. Mm -hmm. And in the process, you lose track of where you are. And if you're sitting in a room that could be colder or dark, I always felt I was inviting something in. Sure. But as far as the flow, there were some times where I felt like I needed to repeat what those specters were saying mm -hmm. and other than what he told me they said it seemed like there were other things that they were saying so I felt compelled to put that on paper mm -hmm. there is an, a religious overlay um, to this story that came late uh, John called me just probably a couple of weeks ago, and I was already more than halfway through the book to tell me something that he recalled happening to him uh, as the frustration and the stress was mounting and the number of encounters were becoming worse. And it involved a dream that basically told him he was protected. So as I was writing this book, I kept thinking to myself that something much higher is protecting us and preventing us from being devoured, whatever word you want to use, <laughs> by these things that are watching. Um, and he had a lot of faith that it would protect him so that when he went into the cemetery and encountered what he did, he was able to be strong enough to walk away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense to you. Yes. Yes, it does. Makes a lot of sense to me. Wow, for a paranormal group to walk away like that takes a lot. You know, a lot has to be going on in the house. And I can't wait to read this book. I'm curious yeah. to see, you know, what, what, what they went through. Because I know there, there's been one or two that I've actually called during the investigation and said, look, we're, we're way in over our heads. we got to back out and get somebody else in here. You know, and it's a smart investigation team that knows how to do that, too. So I, whoever that investigation team, I give you credit because a lot of investigation teams won't back off like that. You know what I mean? It takes it takes someone smart mm -hmm. thinking about their own people to, to do that. And then I, I give them a lot of credit. A lot of credit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
when he first came, how did you find out about this story? Did, did he come to you with it or did you go to him? He came to me and it, it's interesting. The way people come to me is in such an unexpected way. Um, I was actually, and, and you know this, I was fiddling with TikTok. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm a recent entrant to the TikTok app. And it's not something I'm well versed in or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I was playing with Instagram. Uh, and he was one of the people that messaged me on TikTok. Oh, cool. And he noted that I was an author. I don't even know how it happened, but it, it he stumbled upon my TikTok account. And then from there, it went into Facebook. So that's how kind of like the alliance was forged. He told me he had a lot of stories because he had over 20 years of investigative cases. Mm -hmm. And so I asked him to tell me some of them. Uh, there is actually one, and I don't, I can't mention where it is uh, because I don't have the release for that, but it involved a family uh, and it involved a tragedy. But something told me to step away from that one. Something told me this was something that I would not be able to control, that it would become personal. Mm -hmm. So I veered away from that case and asked him, do you have more? Mm -hmm. And he went into another one. I've, I've had probably about six people approach me with different stories. Mm -hmm. And there is one I, I'm very reluctant to ask what is happening now. It's not one of John's cases. It's another guy, and it actually is the victim in this particular case. The whole situation was brought up by an Ouija board. And you know, an Ouija board is really an invitation. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I stepped away from that, too. <laughs> I would have to. I don't know what it is with people on Ouija boards. They don't believe it. And, you know, nothing but bad news with that stuff. Nothing but bad news. I've just noticed that Elvira is now selling Ouija boards, guys. So there's Elvira, Mistress of the Dark Ouija boards. Be careful for that stuff. It's a toy. Not really. So you, no. you said earlier that you thought that that place would be best, or you thought maybe... It might be best suited as a, like a museum, but you know, from mm -hmm. what you're telling me, you know, just in this brief thing about this case, I don't think it's safe for any of that. Yeah, I, you know, the, the thing that struck me about the place is that it was really just meant to be left alone. Yeah, I mean, it was almost like when you walked in, you were desecrating something. Mm -hmm. You know, the electrician when he was digging, he didn't realize what he was digging up. Mm -hmm. he didn't realize what was happening within the house as he was walking his way towards it and, and digging trenches. Right. He's not used to that. Well, see, that's the thing. And that's why, you know, like turning it into a museum could be opening people up to a lot of stuff because all it takes is 
Okay, I'm just looking at stuff. All it's <laughs> I can't read, so I'm looking at me going. All it takes is the right person, the right type of person with the right type of, uh, you know, psychic ability who doesn't realize they have psychic ability to walk into something like that, and right away it's gonna, you know, attach onto them right away. You know, you bring up a great point because what was going through my mind right now is the, uh, you know, Lorraine and Ed Warren's uh, Monroe home. Yes. Inside that is a room that they had locked up and it has all those uh, malevolent items that are dangerous. Oh, the museum. Yeah. 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 I mean, they, they have a reason to put that under lock and key and behind glass. Yes. And um, I, I don't know if it's wise. And, that, and that's just my personal opinion. I mean, I, I certainly, you know, love that couple, respect them. You know, I, I think very highly of Chris McKinnell. But my understanding is that the house has been turned into a museum, including that room. So, like you said, anything can emerge. <laughs> That's the thing that you know may not happen now. It may not happen in the close future. But all it takes is the right person with the right energy to go in there, and then something decides it, it will with them. You know, and, it, and the whole thing starts all over again. They get attached, yeah. to it and then it's a mess. You know, yeah. but you can't stop anybody. So, I mean, that's it. Because even if a ghost team went to, say, the guys that own it now, they're probably non-believers to begin with. So, they're going to be just dismissive anyway. Yeah. So you can only do so yeah. much, you know, with that. Yeah. Very interesting. I can't wait to, I can't re- wait to read this book. Very, very interesting. Thank you. You, know? you get the best topics. Yeah, I have another one coming up next year, but that's next year. So we'll there you go. see. We're going to be very busy here. We're going to be busy reading I... all those books in the next five years. No, I'm kidding. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you write so well, you know. Thank but, you. Uh, you know, it's it's fun to talk to you. It's fun to hear what it's, it's fun to find out what you're up to. And this new book sounds absolutely intriguing, and I cannot wait till it comes out. Because it's going to be a good one, I can tell. Especially coming Great. from what I do. You know? In my, in my 20 years doing this stuff. Yeah, I've experienced a lot of what they experienced. But not in one place. Not all at once in one place. Not quite like that. You know? It's just too yeah. bad you couldn't, go, you, you couldn't physically go over there and check it out yourself. Would you have gone? Yeah, he, yeah. Did you want to go over there? I think I would under controlled conditions. I mean, I, I probably would go, obviously, around noon or sometime late morning, and I would definitely go with a bunch of people. I think I told this to someone earlier. They said, well, you know, you write about all these places, but have you been to any of them? And I said, well, the only personal experience I have is the house I was born in and the house I was raised in. And I think that's enough for me. <laughs> Those are things you don't forget. I, I really, um, you know, to this day, it's had a, quite an effect on me because of all the things that happened. Um, right. So do I want to repeat that? No. I, I mean, I'll look at it from a distance um, with a bunch of people, but I'm not going to stay there for long. <laughs> I 
My four favorite words during an investigation that you think is going to be heavy duty. Hang with the medium. Yeah. Go with the people that can see what's going on. Yeah. Right. No exactly. No yeah. I mean, you know, or like with me, when I was filming all the time, I had the infrared camera so I could see in the dark and nobody else could. See? Always thinking. Oh, that should be interesting. Trying to see fun. what you see with infrared. Nobody else could nobody else could see except with little flashlights, right? Right. So I'd have the infrared camera. Wow. How many well, people do you have on an investigation? It depends on the size of the place. Oh. It could be anywhere wow. from three to ten people on investigation, depending on if it's a hotel or where we're going. It just depends. Wow. Oh, here, here we go. Does Anna have any advice? If someone thinks they bought a home or an item with an attachment, or they brought, I'm sorry, they brought home an item with an attachment, what advice do you have? Well, it, that's a tough one because it really depends on what the attachment is. Is it someone who uh, wants to keep the object for themselves? A lot of times people are attached to objects because something happened in their lives that cut it short. And with any kind of attachment, I think what's happening is the person who owned it wants to remain with it because they cherish the item. Mm -hmm. So anyone who tries to possess the item might come into some kind of misfortune. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll either outright spook them so that they sell the item or let go of the item or bring it back to where it was. So my advice is if you know it's attached and there's something heavy and negative that's going on, bring it back to where you got it. Yeah, absolutely. Athena yeah. says she bought a Russian antiquity in 2002 in a small town. And I had an uneasy feeling about it. And a psychic came to my home and took it away to bury it. She confirmed it was cursed, even though it was a, it was a holy object. Whoa. Uh, oh, my God. like you want, you want me to wrap it up for you Dang it, go. <laughs> cursed is bad cursed is bad because you don't know how deep the curse is what's going to happen to you when you have it are you going to get sick because of it lose your job because of it oh yeah that's just craziness just crazy and you don't know and again you went antique shops and I like antiques just like anybody else. I like antiquities. But been there, done that, won't do that ever again. That's all I can say. That's all I have to say yeah. about that. You know? Been there, done that. Um, it's, it's nice to have really cool things, but I'd rather have really cool things that have been made like, you know, by J.C. Penny instead. <laughs> reproductions. That's why, that's why the good Lord makes reproductions now. An icon or a religious icon you bought. I see. Okay. Yeah. Religious icon. Yeah, you never know what you're gonna get, you know. Yeah. Anna, you yeah. know what? It's always so much fun talking to you. Thank you. It's great to be back and get cat, cat caught up and uh, share stories and things of that nature. Absolutely. And my book's halfway done, so I'm getting there. I'm piddling right along with my book too. You know, I'm trying to go back and take photos of different things that 
Oh, does that fit better for the book than what I got during investigating? You know what I mean? Like to make the places yeah. look nicer. So I'm doing that. I'm doing photo work, and I'm also cleaning up the book a little bit. And uh, it's going to be coming out here. I don't know when. Hopefully next year, sometime. Oh, cool! So I'll have it ready to go. All about you know some of the stuff we've investigated up in Delaware. Nice. Yeah. And I'm going to actually, once we get things rolling again, team, and I know my team's out there. I can see them. Uh, we're going to start filming a documentary to go with the book. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So I'm going to just go behind the camera again. So, And like you, I'm nice. a TikTok virgin. I've been doing TikTok about five months. Okay. So I'm just getting to where I understand it. You know, TikTok's funny because it's a totally different audience. TikTok, I think, is for people who want to see something capsulized. Quick entertainment. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's like the people. Very lively. Want, yeah, it's like the people that don't want to read newspapers anymore, right? You know, the only want to see is the headlines. <laughs> true. It's a totally true. different animal. I've noticed that people I have, which I love you all, I adore you all on Facebook. Okay. The people I have on Facebook and YouTube are about the same audience. The people oh. over at TikTok are a completely different animal. And then the podcast crowd, too. You know, it's, it's a different thing. I've got a full mm. different audience. But each audience is really cool. And I'm not putting down my audiences. You guys are great. You know, my numbers are jumping through the roof on the podcast. Thanks, guys. I, I, I appreciate it beyond anything. You know, I, I'm glad you guys like my show. Somebody really likes me. Congratulations. Yeah, but, yeah, so it started, it started the last four months. It's really taken off. And this wow. month has been tremendous. The growth just went through the ceiling this month. So hopefully it keeps up, you know, and I'm working on getting my more subscribers on YouTube and then TikTok I'm starting to build up. That took forever to even get to 200 people watching me on TikTok. But we're Jeez. Yeah. You know, it's taken forever. So hopefully That's a great that feeling, though. It is. And somebody, you know, one of the creators over on TikTok gave me some advice because I was asking for different advice from different people, you know, on what to do. And then I felt like, well, maybe I'm not making, you know, something's going on with my videos. I'm not making the impact that I'm, that that everybody else is making. And what he told me was that, you know, if I have like 30 videos out and I've got 250 views on each video, multiply Ooh. that. That's how many views you've got in total. Don't think about the, the don't think about the actual numbers like don't think about maybe you want a thousand views on, on each video don't worry about that because you're just starting out just 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 add up everything you've done and see how many views are on all those videos wow. and it makes a lot of sense so if you multiply 250 times say say 30 videos you know that's that's over that's what, you know that, that's a big chunk of people watching mm-hmm you know, you yeah just don't see it all at once. so it makes a lot of sense. So that's what I'm doing. You know, I'm just like, you just keep plugging videos. It's like, this is going to turn into a uh, two minute TikTok video, you know, to tease it over the website. Jeez. You know, very exciting, Charlotte. It is exciting. Very and exciting. To see, and to see the podcast numbers take off like they have, I'm real excited. Really excited this month. Makes it all worthwhile. Yes. I even had my first yes. donation. From, I got my first donation from, from Europe last month. It from Europe. From yeah, I got a donation from France. It's great. So we were excited about that on this city, you know, my producer and I. So yeah, so it's it's just really started to launch. And it's because of people like Anna Maria being on here 
and the people that <laughs> consistently come in to listen and see my face every day, you know, with Zena and Jen and, uh, and everybody. I mean, it's just, it's just without you guys spreading the word, you know, sound like, I sound like, you know, come spread, no, 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 probably get sued for that. But um, it's, it's everybody, it's word of mouth. Like it's just, he keeps this thing going and it's going, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I'll have to look you up on TikTok. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think I found you already. I wasn't quite sure how to friend someone on TikTok. I mean, do no, you friend someone on TikTok? <laughs> uh, you, can, you can follow. It's a follow thing. Oh, it's follow. a follow thing. Okay. Yeah. 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 I'll have to, Sounds I'll good. You. I'll find you. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming tonight. Thank you and for having me again. As soon as I finish up on Lizzie Borden, whenever that is, we'll get into uh, your, we'll get into that uh, antique book. You know, I'm looking forward to reading about the haunted antiques and stuff. So, uh, all right. Off. Right now, she's in the middle of her trial, so we'll see. You know, and then I, I know the book. Uh, I love the book by by Renee. Like again, Renee Pittman wrote a great book. And we're going from the trial, and we're going into after. You know, when when Lizzie finally moves out of that house moves into the other house that she bought, which was supposed to be haunted as well. And so we're going to be looking at the hauntings in both houses. And then I think Jeez. Towards the other yeah. So very intense. Very, yeah, very intense. But Adam Maria, thank you, as always. It's always thank fun. you. It's like talking to family. I know. I'm telling you. It's great. Yeah. Great to catch last up. Time, last time we caught you, we kept you up real late. We're not going to do that today. I'm going to be nice. Let you go to bed at least an hour this time, you know. Yeah, I hear you. Have a good me. night. The scene is sorry for the caps, but uh, but you can't see. <laughs> yes, I can't see. Thank you. She's writing in caps. That's funny. All right. Thank you so much. We'll have to get you back on here at some point. Okay. Okay. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. Have a good one. All right, that was our good friend Anna Maria Manalo, and uh, it's always fun to have her on. And man, she comes up with the spookiest stories, I'll tell you. Tomorrow, speaking of spooky stories, our old friend Mitzi Zaredo is going to be on with us. And Mitzi Zaredo writes true crime stories. And what's fun about what she writes, it's not the stuff that you're going to see on mainstream media. So she's going to be talking about, she's got a, she's written, since the last time we saw her, she's written a couple books about some true crime. So uh, it's going to be kind of cool to talk with her, and that'll be 6.30 p.m. Pacific tomorrow. You know, that's too funny about the caps. Thank you. <laughs> Very thoughtful of you. So uh, I want to thank everybody for coming tonight. And again, if you're watching from Facebook, please hit that follow button. Uh, if you're watching from Twitch, hit that follow button. Uh, TikTok, hit that follow button. And if you're watching from YouTube, again, there's that little ghost down there in the bottom right-hand corner with the Sherlock Holmes hat on and the magnifying glass. Click on that, and that will make you a subscriber. Otherwise, you can find us at CaliforniaHaunts.org for the Paranormal Team, CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com for the radio show. And uh, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. That way you can get even with them, right? Uh, we're equal opportunity here. And um, great. I want to say again, I want to thank you all for coming tonight. And I'm going to share Anna Maria's information with you so you can find her website. So here we go. Website, AnnaMariaManaloAuthor.com. And the Anna has two ends, guys. AnnaMariaManaloAuthor.com. And the first book is Portal. 
second book is The Way Through the Woods. That's the one we read online here. And the third book is The Haunted Heirlooms, and that's the one we're about to read as soon as we finish off with the Lizzie Borden series book. And of course, those books can be purchased at Amazon. So again, thanks everybody for being here, and I'm going to sign off now, and you guys can go, go to bed, eat your dinner, do whatever you're going to do, and uh, have a good evening, and I'll see you tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Bye.